panicking yet? Part two of Panic! It's Satanic starts right now on Monsters of the Midwest. In today's episode, we're talking about the literature and publications that fueled the satanic fire. Welcome to the Dramatic Illusion Podcast. We are your hosts, Lorraine. And I'm Amanda. And we are going to go into part two of the satanic panic. Are you panicking? I'm panicking. Well, everyone was panicking at this yes. time. Yes. Everybody. Absolutely. We we told you it was going to be a two-parter. It's a two-parter. So, I don't know how much you remember the 80s. Probably not a whole lot because you were born. I was born in 88, so no. I remember <laughs> um, some of it. I was born in 84, so I remember a little bit up until kindergarten, you know, um, but they were a really weird time. Not the greatest music, uh, really weird side ponies and jean coats, and it just, ugh, I don't know. It, they were obsessed with denim, they were obsessed with mullets, and they were obsessed with Satan and everything that had oh, to do with him. Oh, good. Okay? Uh, it actually was a, a study that 68% of people that they um, that they questioned or, or whatever surveyed uh, believe that the devil was real and 60 per- or, and 60% of these people believed that worshiping Satan was a real thing um, and it was an actual problem in Western United States. Oh, absolutely a problem. If um, they're believing it, it's definitely a problem. I, they. Right. <laughs> Who is they? <laughs> um, America created its own like archetyped of this this evil thing at the at that time in the eighties. Right. Brought upon things like stranger danger and satanic cults and using daycares as fronts to perform rituals on children to physically, sexually, emotionally abuse multiple, multiple kids. And that whole case actually produced the US's longest, most expensive trial ever. Right, yeah. Oh yeah. The accusations were described by the children themselves as the witnesses. And there was kids from, like, they had people on the stand from, like, 2 to, like, you know, daycare age kids, like, to, to 12. I mean, it was all over the board. Why they put those kids on the stand, I have no idea. But I guess this uh, Key McFarland came out with her two untrained assistants that, you know, I mean had no credentials whatsoever. Oh, no. No, no. Came out with anatomically correct dolls and said, point to where what they did and where it was. And, you know, these kids that... Why their parents allowed them to be on the scene, I don't know. But... Baby, uh, babies. Right. Babies. There was actually over 400 kids that were put on the stand because of this whole trial. Um, Taxpayer dollars, hard at work. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, this Key McFarland, she obviously must be, you know intelligent right I mean she had to have I mean if the court was going to use her as the key psychiatrist and the the big you know crowned royalty of this case like she she must be have some sort of credit like credentials but Mm -mm. you'd think no no none none at all uh self-taught yes there there was no (laughs) um like psychological there was no medical training there was no 
anything. Uh, the only degree or licensing that she had was an entry-level welding license for a factory that she worked at for two months. That's what? it. That's the highest level of education she's ever had. Let's weld these kids into <laughs> Right, so let me get my... Uh, <laughs> My two followers, and we're just going to bring out some dolls and, you know. And some soldering guns and see what uh, happens. Right. <laughs> um, oh, no. But this was a whole thing because these kids, like, they they started, like, describing these, you know, ritual things that happened to them. And the more kids that they put on the stand, you know, the crazier the things got. And it... The older they got, I think, the crazier they got, too. Right, right. Yes. Um, Their imagination starts running wild because they're children. Right. And it, the, like, the accusations were described by the kids, and it actually put multiple, multiple people in prison for over 20 years before they even could have an appeal to this whole thing. Right. Or to where the kids that were now adults are realizing, wait, that never happened. Like, I said it because... So-and-so said it. Brian and Tommy over here said it, and I thought I was supposed to do this, you know? It, right. It's like, they're following the person that was in front of them. Only right. This, this shit got weirder. I, and who knows what this, you know, Key McFarland said behind closed doors in chambers or whatever to them. Like, yeah. you know, oh, well, you know, here, you get some pixie sticks if you point on here and tell, right. you know, where... The cartoon devil uh, tortured you. I don't know. Right. Just... You can only point in these two, three spots, so right. make sure you point right. Yeah. Just insane. It was, yeah. Um, but amongst this time, there was a very, very famous publication book that came out called Michelle Remembers. Oh, yeah. This was, this book was eventually used as, like, the training material in a guidebook to everything from medical journals to, like, psychiatry, just anything that had, I mean, cops used it. Yes. Yes, They use this as like, this is law. This is, you know, same caliber as the Bible. Like that's, you know. Yeah. This is how we have to use this in order to interrogate children into saying what they, what happened to them in a satanic ritual type of way. Right. It's Um, insane. It's insanity. So this was written by, um, this, uh, this book was released in 1980 by a Canadian psychiatrist, uh, Lawrence Pazder. Oh, okay. But he wrote this book about his patient and, spoiler alert, eventually his wife, Michelle Smith. Oh, okay. So. Y- your your wife, your patient is not supposed to be. Well, it was, it, the whole book was written about his patient at the time. This is like a documentation of her therapy that he was making into a, a thing, you know. Um, oh, illegal. All right. Right. Oh, it gets weirder. There's a, a whole. <laughs> there's, it's, it's not weird already? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there's lots of chapters of this book. Jesus. But this book was just packed to the brim of false allegations, and they oh. they didn't come to the surface until many, many lives were already ruined. Oh, sure. Including yeah. her parents. It, it drastically ruined her parents' life uh, because, Damn. yeah, it was it was insane. And it also, you know, fueled the fire for all these, like, child abuse cases that weren't actually, you know, these false accusations there that it just caused a whole, a whole ruckus. A whole mess of problems. But a little bit about the book. So it actually, so backstory with the book, 
where he got his funding for, this should be, you know, red flag number one, the number one donation, donation, probably. whatever, the National Enquirer. <laughs> so Get the fuck out. Yep. So, and then he also got a book deal. That's the beginning of fake news. Right, exactly. <laughs> the book earned uh, $100,000 in a hardcover advance and $242,000 for the paperback rights and potential movie deal slash royalties slash lifetime show, all of that, before he even released it. Oh, sure. So he went out and networked himself and said, oh, well, I've been doing, you know, these are my notes and I'm going to put it into a memoir and, you know, you guys need to hear this. And he was dropped that kind of hard cash in the 80s before he even had it on paper. You oh, know? my God. I could just see him in, like, one of those big boxy suits. Oh, I got a story for you guys. Right, right. <laughs> Slick back hair. Right. <laughs> Maybe the devil uh, goatee yeah. like Mr. Uh, cartoon Devil Man had, LeVay. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Right. Um, but the book actually was a huge, huge success. Bestseller right off the rip, obviously, because people were going nuts and oh, they thought goblin. they had to read this. You yes, know? gobbling that shit up. It was the first ever book written about the satanic ritual abuse. The book played a, a huge part of all the controversies, like I said before, but it had to deal a lot with recovered memory is what he, what his term that he used. So With abuse patients. Right. Yeah. Right. And his, like... Think harder. I know it's in there. I know you got touched in your butthole. Just think a little bit harder. Yep, exactly. <laughs> oh, no. So, a little bit of background about the book and about, like, Pazder and his relationship with Michelle as a client-therapist situation. So, he started treating her in the late 1970s for depression. Uh, oh. She went there for, yeah, for depression after she had suffered through a miscarriage Oh, she, she was married at this time. So she was married and they she tried to conceive. She suffered from miscarriage and, you yeah. know, she went to go get help. You know, good for her. Like, that's great. So he confided in her and kept pushing her in and saying, I know there's something you want to tell me, but. What are you, fucking mind reader? Apparently he goes, I just, I, I know there's something you might want to tell me. And then he would leave it, leave it go. And then she came back and she goes. That's like a teaser for the next episode. Right. What so are then, you doing? Because in his own twisted way, he was trying to uncover the root of her depression, which she already came in there and flat out said, listen, I lost my baby. I got hormones going on. Like, I'm fucking depressed. I'm depressed. Right. Help me work through this type of thing. But he was like, oh, well, I know that oh, there's more to this. There's, he's really working at it. Oh, yeah, for sure. So she comes back after a couple of sessions and she goes, I think there is something I need to tell you, but I don't really know what it is. I don't know how to find it. Oh, get the fuck out. Where's Waldo? Like, find find this root evil inside of her head, right. I guess. So after that session, he got to thinking, okay, well, how, how are we going to get this out? How are, I'm going to hypnotize her. That's... We're Classic just, move. Right. We're just going to here's a, start... here's a Here's a pocket watch, bitch. Just go to sleep. We're going to talk about... Somebody abusing you in some sort of way. Absolutely. Oh, my God. What a nightmare. So it went through <laughs> um, 10 sessions that did not work. They were 25-minute sessions. Nothing happened. Did she have insurance? I hope so. God, that would uh, be expensive. <laughs> right. So on the 11th one, she apparently just started speaking in a child voice. Like, I don't know if it was in... It didn't say whether it was, like, in the middle of it or at the end, but she started baby talking in, like, a what he claims was a five-year-old's voice. Pretty... I didn't know that Pretty he, specific. Yeah, right. Five years old. Right. And after mm -hmm. this session, she, after she spoke whatever she spoke in this voice, she just started blood curdling, screaming for three minutes. Just 
Good. Right. I Good. It worked. Just Great. Letting, letting out the beast, I guess. Yeah. Um, Exorcism time. So he was like, oh, well, we've, we found it. So 14 months of hypnosis and this. 14 months? Yes. Literally 400 billable hours in hypnotherapy oh alone. Oh, my God. Also, he he had her come in for multiple sessions during the week. So that was just his, like, 400 hours of just hypnotherapy. What? Right. That dude is sucking her bank account dry. He yes. doesn't care about anything else but money. And then eventually Michelle recovers after all this, her satanic ritual abuse. She found it somewhere in there. Deep down. Right, deep down. Yikes. And this... That sounds just like so some made-up shit. Right. It just so happened that all this abuse was when she was five. Oh, well, where did that number come from? Oh, five years old, huh? Five, yep. You don't say. And her number one abuser was her mother. Because, I mean, oh, well, who, who else? else? Right. But her mom was one of the many members of a gigantic satanic cult in her in her town. Right. You know, you would. And I guess that it was reported that they held meetings and stuff at her house. And that's how this abuse got to, I don't know, unfold. And then there was, like, visits to... The, the church where they would do these rituals and all this. You mean this. a sewing circle? Your mom. It's your mom. Right. Get um, out. But I, I, I don't know how Book she could have. I yeah. don't know how she could have <laughs> blocked all this out. And then all of a sudden found, like, you know, came back and which, figured it all out. Which, you know, in some abuse cases, that does happen. But right. 400 billable hours of hypnotherapy, I don't think all of a sudden you're just like, Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. It was definitely when I was five, too. Thank you for telling me that, that that's when it was, you know. That's insanity. Exactly. Uh-uh. Uh, she claimed that the first, oh, now she's got a year on it, too, after. she It was 1954, for sure, through 1955 until her birthday. Yeah, math. I know. Okay. All of a sudden. <laughs> um, so, and then the final documentation in the book was a 21-long-day ritual that she had to endure in 1955. Okay, remember that. 21 days of satanic ritual abuse. Wow. Now, during this this 21 days, this horrific abuse that she undergoed, quote unquote, summoned the summoned Satan himself. He was there and it actually he was fought off by Jesus came to the tea party, the virgin Mary was there, and so was Michael the archangel. Uh they all just were what? in this yeah, mad hatter style tea party. <laughs> Hanging out at this uh, satanic church. Oh, yes. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. So the reason that she didn't remember any of this before is because this was during this intervention from, you know, the from Jesus and Mary and and Michael, they blessed her enough to remove all of her scars and all of her internal pain. But there was a trick on it that she would eventually have to remember it when the time was right. Right. Okay. Like, what? A note in her pocket. Like, you're just gonna remember this later on to to a quote unquote five year old. Right. Uh, let me just give you this memo. So, some of the the facts of the things that she remembered. She was allegedly locked in cages all the time. Um, during this like this 21 day span, she was tortured, sexually assaulted. She was forced to partake in all the rituals done by the entire cult, if not just to sit there and watch as they abused children, they abused elderly women. It would she's just in there in a cage having to having to do all this. Mm, sounds um, like a grooming case to me. Right. Yeah. So after Michelle recovered these memories, she consulted with various people 
of the church to make sure that oh the ones really raping children okay, right thank um, you appreciate that she During even that was time she even was so inclined to contact the Vatican and went oh geez and of we co- don't have time for this <laughs> I know and then you know of course like they were they were on her side yeah definitely these three folks showed up to a Showed up to a tea party, got y'all cleansed. Uh, this is terrible. We need to tell everybody about what happened oh, to you. Oh, no. Even though this was however many years ago, 80s into the, like, uh, but the abuse was in the 50s, we got to tell everybody. We need to have, I mean, the Vatican oh. was like, we're backing this book, we're backing this publication. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Super interesting. So 10 years after the book publication, she got to deal with Oprah. Like Oprah, big thing in in that time, you oh, know. Yeah. So still is. She's um, super big. Man. Right, right. She brought on her and another lady named Laurel Rose Wilson, who also during this time had a book out that was similar. Uh, Wilson is the author of an equally fictitious book called "A Satanic Ritual Abuse Survivor Memoir." Oh, jeez. Yes. Uh, and it. Thank or, you for that. Or right, and or. Other known as, or it must have been in captions on the Satan's Underground. Ooh, that sounds like an awesome nightclub, though. Right, right. That sounds like some Chicago type shit. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> so, in October of 1980, Michelle's father fr- finally, you know, comes to light and is like, "What the fuck? Listen, this is bullshit." Right. He goes, "You know, you ruined my wife's life. Like, pr- pretty much like coming out on TV and." coming after this whack job of a psychiatrist. And he says, you know, you ruined their life. He goes, I'm, he's like, I'm here to make it public to tell you like everything you said is incorrect. El falso. And I brought the receipts. Like, let's do this, you know? Right. Um, So remember how we had talked about the 21 day ritual, right? Yes. Um, He brought in school officials and paperwork from the school that she attended school every day on those 21 days Somehow she was, you know, locked in a cage doing rituals against, you know, babies and right. But but she attended school all twenty one days. Didn't miss any school. Ab- uh, absolutely right. They had like the some weird doppelganger. I don't know uh, what happened. Must have been. Also, the book blatantly mes- mentions that she is an only child, and that's why something connected with. Uh, that's why the mom chose her because she was an only child. She was a gift for Satan. I don't. So, I've never read the book, but some sort Who of. Who else does she have to choose? Right. Well, dad comes on there and says, she's not an only child. She's the middle child. He goes, we have three girls. Yeah, you dumb shits. I don't know if Michelle just forgot about these girls or didn't want somebody to come and, like, disprove her don't whole... Don't ruin my whole family. Just my mom. Right. Just just my mom. <laughs> she wouldn't let me go roller skating. It's her fault. <laughs> so, a funny thing with this whole book, because in the early 90s, after dad came on the talk show, uh, it was... All right, we're going to debunk this shit. We're cuz they yeah. had already debunked like Laura Wilson's book and then there was multiple uh memoirs that got debunked in the same time. So oh, right. and this everyone's was everyone's trying to get a pretty penny out of this, right? Oh yeah, for sure. So they're like we're all right, we're we're going to make sure that everybody knows that this is garbage. All right, milk this cow. <laughs> One of the big things that they found in this book was there was no after all these allegations, no police investigation. No questioning Zero. of any of the women that were in this quote-unquote cult. Yes. Um, sewing circle. Right, the sewing circle. <laughs> there was no questions held to the mother. Not even going to talk to the her? The police didn't even talk to her. Oh, my God. Come um, on. No facts in the book were ever proven to be truthful. 
No. It was completely hearsay. Yeah. The allegations were so insane and so intense that most of them weren't even plausible. They would not even, you know what I mean? Like, kind of like her being at school and then also being in a cage type of thing. Right, yeah, yeah. Pazder didn't, but he didn't involve anyone after, I guess at that time because of her age or something like that, he should have reported these things to the authorities, I guess, by law at that time. I, right. If you're under a certain age, you have to report stuff like that by law. Right. Especially with like childhood abuse cases or whatever. Mm-hmm. He didn't report any of it. You know, it was just pipe dreams in a book, I guess. True. Another thing about this this 21 days, we're going back to this 21 days, that apparently her mom was present for the, the whole 21 day ritual because her mom was the one that was conducting these. She's the ringleader. Yeah. She's oh, yeah. she's the, the head uh, seamstress of the bunch. Head seamstress. <laughs> uh, and she said, you know, oh, well, I was locked in this cage this whole time. My mom was there the whole time. Well, that's funny because mom's boss came with payroll and said, you were at work every day. You got paid for every single one of these days of this, you know. 21 day vacation right <laughs> the tea party of satan you didn't accrue that ma- that much vacation time right <laughs> also there was cctv footage that she was at work <laughs> like it just it doesn't make any damn sense absolutely debunked 100 percent. you fucking idiot right um but like i said before obviously these these breakthroughs were just so huge for them that they they fell in love during the process and they were both married at the time of their whirlwind of hypnosis. Oh, sure. And they decided together they were going to divorce their spouses and marry each other. Are you sure he didn't hypnotize her into believing that she was in love? Because that sounds kind of plausible. Uh, right. But then I was thinking, hmm, did they get married because they were in love? Did they get married because this is a financial gain, which yes. it clearly was? Did they get married because this also provides uh, spousal um, spousal privilege? Because he had to have known this shit was going to go to court. I mean, oh, it, sure. It's a childhood abuse case where you've got, like, dad's hella pissed off coming in here and, and going on Ricky Lake or wherever and bitching about this. I mean, mm-hmm. there had he had to have known there was going to be some sort of... Ramifications, right? Something, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so that offered... Michelle didn't ever have to testify him against in court and vice versa. Oh, class act. Just a, a whirlwind. Like I said, whirlwind um, book here. Got It got its movie deals. And it's on Lifetime. It just. It's insane. It, yeah. Yes, it definitely was. So there was also another character at the time. His name is Mike Warnicky. He is the, the author of Satan's Cellar. Uh, this oh, was good. published in 1973. In the basement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it tells he's he's a kook, too, because it talks about his life as, as a Satanist it all started from when he was a teenager and he was a drug addict and he. There's your problem. Right, right, <laughs> right. You see anything on that shit. But he started off as a foot soldier in Satan's army and eventually was a high priest of like of a satanic cult. He was a high priest. But. All of a sudden, you know, after a while, he just snapped, and then he was an evangelical convert, reverend. He was healed. He was just, everything was great, and he was healed, so he went from a, a trash bag drug addict <laughs> to a high priest to the Church of Satan to, we're just going to go to Christian church now, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a priest there. I'm healed. Right. Right. Um, Ernest Angeli. <laughs> 
Uh, he brought. You guys have to see my face. My face is like my eyes are so wide and my jaw is so low. I just uh, can't even. This this shit is so wild. And this was real life. Right, real this, life. I we're we're not making any of this up, which is even more insane. He brought up the issue that there was an underground of Satanists just trolling for kids and living in the sewers. Right. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage <laughs> Mutant Ninja Satanists. I mean, like, <laughs> uh, but his whole claim like caused Christian fundamentalists to go absolutely apeshit. They're, you know, right. saying, oh my God, they're, they're in our neighborhoods. They're, they're taking over our kids and it's all those damn hippies with the drugs and this blah, 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 blah. Wow. So his whole memoir was actually fun, like funded by a group of Christian fundamentalists. Great. We know you're a high priest of Satan, but we're just gonna... Do you want a bunch of money to tell your story? I absolutely And about how do. Jesus Christ saved your life, you know? Yeah, what a, what a tale of valor. So, during this time, Mikey goes on to marry his, his childhood sweetheart. Obviously, she knows how to pick him if he's, you know, doing drugs in the fucking basement. And that's, you know... Right. Maybe she liked the high priest in... in Super high. Yeah. Super high priest. Her name was, her name was Sue. So uh, happy marriage. You know, they obviously dated all through high school until one day on the timeline, he just woke up in the middle of the night and tried to strangle her to death. Great. Yeah. I love you. Ah. But <laughs> she sounds like a winner too, because Sue claims that she single-handedly cast the devil out of him and she forgives him because Satan is no longer with him. And that was the turning point into where... I'm no longer a high priest. Now I'm going to go be another type of priest. These drugs were of the purest value back then because I could not even imagine. I know they're tripping on some shit. Right. I know they're tripping on some shit. He had a bad dream. He had some lucid-ass dream. He woke up. He thought that she was freaking out on him, strangled her. Man, that is so wild. So she went to the hospital because obviously he physically hurt her so she ended up and they were young and she went to the hospital i can see your fingerprints man right and uh (laughs) so the cops did nothing there's no legal ramification what because she said he was saved and it was oh well christian this and that and blah 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 it was bizarre no the cops did nothing wow Um, she was groomed for sure absolutely so you know he wrote this book in 1973 by 1991, well, we've had a good run, but it's time to see you go. Uh, there was uh, multiple psychiatrists, and in our our times, we call them web sleuths, but of the times, that's what they were, you know. Oh, okay. Those types. Uh, they had every bit of information of that book debunked by 91. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just done. His whole family called him out on national television. Oh, yeah. You weirdo. <laughs> if anybody was weird, it's these fucking people. So I'm just going to end it on a, on a quote from his family, which I thought was just beautiful. Beautiful. Got lots of writers in that family, obviously. Uh-oh. But uh, she goes, I think it's pretty funny that he's claiming to be a child of Satan and a high priest. But when in reality, he was sitting on his fat ass eating ice cream cones in my basement. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. Right. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Oh, <laughs> like, damn. Mom fucked him up. Hardcore on, on TV, on national television in the 90s. Mm. I. Nothing like a slap in the face by mom. Right. And you can hear her go, Jerry, Jerry. Like, yes, you know Jerry. I mean? Yes. Uh, speaking of like made up shit, another thing that we wanted to take a wild stab at it because it's obviously still relevant today is Dungeons and Dragons. 
This is so interesting because Dungeons and Dragons is still very popular today. Oh, even more so. I mean, you have the OGs that have always been into it, but like my boyfriend's dad. He right. was into it in the 70s when it came out. Yeah, my older brother, big player. I mean, I don't know if he still plays, but I mean, he still has the books, you right. know? And then, but I think when Stranger Things came out, oh. it reopened the gate to like a new, a whole new following yeah. of, of the game. Yeah, it lit a fire under a lot of people. Celebrities play it. I mean, musicians play it. You can get that shit at Target now. Like it's, yeah. you know, yeah, everywhere. It, it's very, very popular. So it was started in 1974. Everybody who knows Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, they're the they're the creators of this, you know, fantasy child, if you will, of a mecca, like a mogul of role playing games. Like this is this is the mecca, Dungeons and Dragons. So if any of you guys don't know what this is. It's a role-playing game played by uh, you choosing your character, starting a character sheet, and the dungeon master takes you on a quest and you encounter a bunch of shit along the way. Um, They call it a campaign, so. Don't you have to, like, if I remember correctly, don't you roll dice and that tells you what your powers are for your character that you create? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's. It's so much deeper than that, and trust me, my boyfriend tells me about this shit, and I'm just like, it's cool. I tried to play it, you know, a few games when I was in high school, and I quickly got over it, but he tells me about a lot of stuff, and it's so in-depth. It's it's insane, and um, the 80s is when it was under wild scrutiny because of all of this satanic panic type stuff. The people who did freak out about it was mostly parents not really anybody else in particular that I saw. It's mostly like, oh, you're sucking my kids into this fantasy world and they're going to bring it out into the real world and they're going to go try to summon the devil and all this other crazy shit, right? But there's not even any devil in that game, I don't... It could be. It's anything you want it to be. Okay, okay. You could fucking be a cougar or some shit. I mean, anything's possible in that game, honest to God. Okay. So people were under the impression that it was a recruitment tool. Like, here is the book. This is how we recruit new people into the Church of Satan. More guidebook publications. Yes, absolutely. It was also said to have made these people playing these games commit suicide and other radical behaviors. So, um, yeah, it was like, my kid is going to create this character and go on this wild quest in the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden he's going to wake up one morning and just kill himself. What? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, kill your character and just make a new one. I mean, it's really that simple. <laughs> Don't kill your whole your whole self, your whole being. Right, get yourself a new trapper keeper, make a new quest or a campaign. You yeah, know. make yourself a new character sheet. You're good go to fi- go. Go find some new friends, get a new group going, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There, there was analysis studies shown that the suicide rate for people who played role-playing games was significantly lower than that of their own age group that do other stuff. You know, so it was like way under the percentage of teens or young, younger that were committing suicide for other things. But sidebar on that. So that's kind of like when we talked about like drag culture, it, it's a creative outlet to right. where, you know what I mean? Which it's is, an escape. It's an escape, right, from your own reality, which it obviously those are mentally healthy escape routes or whatever. For, yeah. It doesn't even make any sense that those people would be more depressed or right. wanting yeah, to go kill themselves. No, it's probably the people that don't have some sort of outlook. They don't have something to look forward to. They don't, 
Right. They don't get to create their own persona in something that they feel comfortable in. Exactly. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So that was significantly lower. And it, that makes sense. I'm, I have a thing that I'm going to do two or three days a week after school when I don't have other stuff going on. And I get to hang out with my friends. I get to play a game for a little bit. Then I ride my bike home in the 80s. I'm on banana seat. And I'm good to go before the streetlights come on. That, to me, doesn't sound like someone who's like, ah, Satan, I'm going to start killing everything. Squirrels. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Are you kidding? So Not like old Mikey in his basement, you know, becoming a high priest and eating ice cream cones, you know. Right. Doing drugs and shit. Right, you fat turd. So there's other role-playing games. And I looked up the Wikipedia article on role-playing games that started in the 80s. And I thought that it was just like a few it breaks it down by year, and there's so many just in the 80s alone. It's it's pretty interesting that I thought it was just Dungeons & Dragons. I didn't realize that there were so many other, like, subsidiaries or different types of role-playing games that people played other than this because this is the most popular. Right, but I... this, is, this is the one that caused the most scrutiny because it was the most popular, right? I know. She's shaking her head. Yeah, shaking my damn head. Yeah, so the reason I bring up suicide is because this one chick, it really this this game really messed with her big time because her son committed suicide and he was playing Dungeons and Dragons. He was playing other role playing games and he shot himself in the stomach and killed himself. So like accidental shot or oh, no, purposeful? No. Pur- okay, and on purpose. Which shooting yourself in the stomach seems like a roundabout way, kind of suffering. But what are you gonna do? So her name is Patricia Pulling, and she is an anti-occult campaigner and activist. Um, Her son committed suicide in 82, and he was into a lot of these games. Dungeons & Dragons, most prominent, of course. She filed a wrongful death suit on his principal. So I am assuming that they played it at school. Like, as an after-school extracurricular activity or, or, you know, some after-school program where they were being watched while your parents are at work or whatever. You know, we know that. And she didn't win that. Come on now. She didn't win nothing like that. She tried to play the whole satanic panic and, you know, all this other stuff. Because trying to he she was trying to hold him responsible because her son's Dungeons & Dragons character had a curse placed upon him. Shortly before her son actually committed suicide. So she was under the impression that because his character is under a curse, that him in turn in real life is going to obtain this curse and become this person and then kill themselves to get rid of it and think they're just going to come back to life. But (laughs) now the bitch runs an organization against anti-occult and like metaphysic type situation. Like, yes, that's calling the kettle black because you literally believed that shit came out of sheets of paper and you know (laughs) went into your son from this character campaign that he wrote you know what I mean yeah yeah exactly she also tried to file a lawsuit against the publishers of Dungeons and Dragons that published the books your your books made my son commit suicide so she was all butthurt obviously her son had other problems going on and you know if if you talk to him maybe Maybe it wouldn't have happened, but who knows? Because tragically, he's gone now. And she she showed up on an episode of 60 Minutes with Gary Gygax. 
the creator of Dungeons and Dragons. It was the same episode. So they're showing like two sides. Her, anti-occult. Oh, this game is terrible. It's teaching kids to be ritualistic. It's teaching kids to do this and that. While he's like, this is just a fun game for kids to escape reality and have some fun doing fairy tale bullshit, basically, you know? So it was a really, really crazy episode. She believed that this game encouraged suicide and devil worship. You can basically do anything in this game. You can you can rape, rob, pillage, sex up whoever you want. You can, you know, turn into a fucking bird. You can, I mean, treasure and anybody know, you know, the gelatinous blob. I mean, it goes on and on, right? So there's a lot of stuff in here that's like, witchcraft and gambling and cannibalism and prostitution and assassination and everything is just it's all closing in on her thinking that all of this shit is just like poisoning these teenage kids minds and then it's not a Ouija board but she thinks that the fucking devil's gonna manifest out of these pieces of paper and just come and well, thank God she never had him experience playing (laughs) Grand Theft Auto because I mean, isn't that like same shit that she's claiming was going on with D and D? Yeah, yeah. It sounds. I mean, it it sounds like fun. I can see why teenage boys and and younger boys would want to play this game. You can do anything you want. You ride, ride a fucking dragon, whatever, right. whatever your your uh, mind makes possible, basically. So uh, Patricia, she got some traction with this um, this movement. It's called Bad, B A D D. You want to guess what that stands for? No idea. I'm guessing it's not Michael Jackson. <laughs> no. Bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, she's bothered. <laughs> she bothered about Dungeons and Dragons. Bad. She created this with a psychologist named Thomas Radecki. And he went, you know. Is he this, a welder too? This, no. <laughs> he went the psychological route saying that it's poisoning children's minds and it's making them you know, regress in age and they're not applying themselves academically. They're escaping into this fucking fairy tale world that doesn't exist and they're creating and manifesting weird shit out of nowhere like they're doing a seance or something, right? So she co-authored a book called The Devil's Web, Who is Stalking Your Children for Satan? Oh. <laughs> so now... Now stalking children, situation. <laughs> now children are getting stalked. And, and this, kept in cages but also going to school, you know, like... Right, and partaking in extracurricular activities. Right. So she tried to give Satanist statistics to reporters about how many people in the state of Virginia where she lived were actually Satan worshipers and belonged to the church. She said 4%. Oh, like, 4 you, you just manifested that statistic out of thin air, and reporters were like, oh, yes, 4%? 4% of what? Well, 4% of teenagers and 4% of adults. So that, well, now that's 8%. And then like she's... Like all teenagers everywhere? Or are we just doing the, the just, U.S.? Just, just for, in Virginia. Okay. Only in Virginia. And they said, well, then that would be 8%. And she said, well, even if it's 8%, that's still a considerably low amount. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. So now, after all this crazy, she's trying to get the book into, you know, public officials' hands. Like, here, you know, use this too. I wrote this out because I'm a woman scorned, my baby's gone, and I need these fuckers to pay. So any type of, like... I mean, we could have a whole fucking box set on uh, Time Life 
the late night infomercials at this point with all these I these know. guidebooks to <laughs> to Satan and his actions. I know, and it's like it's so bizarre to me that people actually publish books that were meant to be guides and references and things like that because they're just upset, <laughs> you know. But she published this book and tried to get the word out there about children being sucked into this whole um, fantasy fairy tale, raping and pillaging and ogres and dwarves and elves universe where this is all practice for when they, they join the Church of Satan and they have to do some ritualistic behavior and sacrifice a child or kill themselves in order to be accepted like Slenderman type shit, right? Oh, jeez. I know. I know. It's, it's really, like, so bizarre. So she got a rebuttal book, basically, from this guy named Michael Stackpole. And uh, he wrote a book called Game Hysteria and the Truth, which basically points out all the flaws in her book. She's like, you see this fucking... Good for you, Mikey. Yeah, you see this? None of it's true. Elf also. None of it's true at all. And she, she got found out that, like, none of her statistics had any backing. She, um, she went on talk show hosts and, st- you know, got really in-depth with her about, well, how do you know? How do you know these statistics? How do you know how many kids, you know, are, are into this or whatever? And she just, like, fucking just made shit up out of thin air. She's a, a PhD at the University of Bothered. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so he basically made this book and said, this bitch is tripping. Absolutely not. I mean, there's there's so many more other problems out there. This is not the problem, okay? Right. These kids are hanging out in someone's basement, chilling, fucking, you know, at the bar having a pint of ale with their elven friends. There, There's <laughs> nothing else going on like what you're saying, lady. And she left bad uh, after the book was released because she got got. She got found out. I mean, there's nothing else for her to grasp onto. She tried to, like, use the book in, in some sort of civil cases and stuff, in criminal cases regarding, like, child abuse. Oh, that person was worshiping the devil, and here's here's something that you should be reading in order to relay it to whatever. It, it was wild. And she she left in 1990. And in 1997, she died of lung cancer, which sucks. But nobody else took over the biz. Nobody else believed in this shit. So it just kind of ceased to exist after that. It just, like, vaporized, and that was it. Just like all the shit vaporized out of his Trapper Keeper into him. And, yeah, basically took over him and decided that that the end was near. But that is just a couple other things... There's so many more. There's so many things that, that the 90s were a wild time, you guys. Yeah. Our, our president was wild. Satan was wild. It was all wild. Yeah, and, <laughs> and all this, you know, went on during the Reagan era. So Reagan was all about, like, protecting the nuclear family and everything has oh, to yeah. be great, you know. So there's him preaching that on TV and the whole, like, Republican thing. I, there's... That on one side, and then you've got, like, the Christian fundamentalists over here fueling fire. you got the fucking Vatican involved saying, oh, well, if we, probably, if we if, if we lead them this way, then they won't see us back here with, you know, Scotty and uh, John, you know. I at, knew you were going to say John. 
Like, Johnny. Little Johnny. Little Johnny. What? It always sounds that bad. Michael and Johnny. Right. <laughs> right. But the thing that really gets me about this whole 10-year span, this whole, like, moral panic, is the fact that, like, a lot of these things could have been either lessened or, I mean, we've already talked about they're all fucking insane. That's that's one side. But, like, yeah. let's look at the people that are not supposed to be insane. Let's look at the law enforcement, okay? Yeah. These are child abuse cases. These are These are things that are happening, and in every single one... They look another direction. They don't press charges. You know, Sue's over here getting strangled by her husband, and and they're like, "Oh, it's fine, it, it's cool, no big deal, go home." Right? You know, um, fuck you. You better look again. <laughs> almost all of these cases like involved very young, very overzealous, new to the force police officers, and they oh, yeah. they were stuck on these cases probably because the more seasoned ones didn't want to fucking deal with it. They didn't want to deal with. You know, right. This is Patty some... over here with shit flying out of trapper keepers. You know, they're like, oh, all right, well, let's give this to the rookie. Well, they're getting capitalized on this. Like, oh, wow, I'm on TV. I'm doing this. This is making a name for my career, you know. So they're yeah. not doing those extra stuff. Whether they're, I mean, they could have been told not to do them. They could have been directed a certain way of how to handle things, you know. I yeah. mean, we don't know, but. It's almost consistent in all of these situations, that whole time period. It's like the cops just, you know, turn right. a cheek, this, look this the other some, way. This is some made-up shit. Time for the rookie to handle it, right? Yeah, and, you know, they, they use these to for career advancement and everything else. And the people that really suffered, I mean, obviously that kid took his life. And what about with the, the child abuse cases, the over 20 families that were imprisoned and stuck in prison or Michelle's dad who, you know, has to deal with every day his daughter doing this and his wife that can't even walk out of her house because of yeah supposedly she's having a sewing circle where they're locking kids in cages and shit. And right. Lives were ruined by this panic. Ruined. Yeah. It's terrible. And surprise we got out alive. <laughs> right. I'm surprised we were actually allowed to go outside. Cause when I was when I was a kid, I don't know if we have any younger viewers out there, but when we were children, we went out and actually hung out outside with other people, and then we came back when the streetlights came on most of the time. Right. Sometimes they had to come find us, but could you imagine now if this shit was going on and you told your kids to go outside? Absolutely not. They're mm-hmm. not going nowhere. No. And we were just out there in the woods building forts and digging holes and shit. No one cared. They're like, eh, they'll come back eventually. Right. <laughs> right? Man, wild, wild times. But here we are, 2021. Another panic among us. I'm over it, man. So over it. <laughs> it's, I mean, these moral panics, like, happen. I feel like when people go through crises or they go through some sort of mental anguish, like, health-wise, it's like they create problems whether they either like they like the drama or they need more drama in their life or they're trying to you know build their own campaign of their own life and create this panic and it just spreads like wildfire it sure does it does it even more so now that we have like social social media media. and the internet the internet you don't you can't keep nothing a fucking secret no no absolutely not speaking of socials man we got a couple we got a couple socials. We got a Facebook. We got an Instagram. Both Dramatic Illusion podcasts. Come on, man. Come on over. 
Give us a like. Give us a follow. Give us a comment. Say something. I don't give a shit what you say. You suck. Okay. Great. Comment. Cool. I like it. Um, we also have a email account that you can email us listener stories, uh, dramatic illusion podcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your, you know, satanic rituals. I know you don't have any, but you can make some up. I don't care. Tell us about your D and D campaign. Yeah. Sebastian, <laughs> tell us about your, tell us about your campaign. I know you want to, you tell me about it every day. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, uh, like, follow us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review, five stars, leave us a comment, boost us up that algorithm. We appreciate all of that. We do. We do appreciate everything, especially listener reviews. I I can't believe that they just want you to write a review and not like a good review, just any review. This any is, review. This isn't Yelp, but you you can leave us a good review. We, we would appreciate it. You can leave us a bad review. We won't appreciate it, but you can still do it if you want. And um, last but not least, donations, subscriptions. We got a Patreon, patreon.com slash Dramatic Illusion Podcast. $3, $5, $10. Take a look. Whatever tickles your fancy, whatever gets your goat, go ahead and subscribe for extra content. Little minis. We have murder minis. We're, we have some other many things in the works maybe a few full-length episodes coming up who knows stay tuned for that and paypal paypal.me slash dramatic illusion pod excuse me that's for one-time donations if you're you know you're feeling you you got your tax return you want to throw us a couple bucks we'd be more than appreciative to take it off your hands we you know if if it's burning a hole in your pocket we will take it off your hands for you so we would really appreciate you just going over there, taking a look. You don't have to donate. We still have content for you every Tuesday. But in case you want to, they're there. And with that being said, don't forget to be original. Stay dramatic. And as always, we'll, we'll see, see you, you next, next Tuesday. Tuesday. We hope this throwback episode gave you a little something to tide you over until season two, but don't fret. Season two airs May 31st, so mark them calendars. And, you know, we are going to leave you with the code of the Midwest. Don't talk to strangers. Don't go into the woods at night. Lock your damn doors, and we'll see you for season two.